You're listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider, Brandon Jaggers, and me, C.C. Broadus. Just gains the edge. It's dream a little dream of you. Good evening, everybody. Episode number 37 of the Auxiliary Gate podcast. You have your host, Brandon Jaggers, followed by Craig Broadus and Alan Schneider. How are you guys doing tonight? Excellent. Uh, fantastic, sir. Fantastic. I think we got a special guest in the wing tonight, so I can't wait to introduce him tonight. But I just want to give kudos to my little racing partnership. I went down to New Orleans for literally 30 hours, and we took home a win. It wasn't that pretty. It was nasty and a little bit of muddy out. It should have been on the turf, but we uh, dream a little dream of you is, is both on uh, mud, dirt. She runs on any surface, and we're very thankful for it. And we, we picked up a nice win in New Orleans and happy to be back home. But I love the food in New Orleans. you got to go if you've never been. So anyone bet on her? Uh, I didn't bet because the field was short. It was like three to five, and she, we knew she'd win. We knew it, and we watched it here at home. We were cheering you on, and it had to be a blast down there. It had to be a blast. I'm sure you inhaled a few uh, victory beverages, I'm going to think, down there somewhere. Would that be true, perhaps? Yeah, I, I celebrated. I celebrated a little bit. I put my rent payment on it, so I got <laughs> on, the, on And that's just for everybody. If you put $2 on it, I think you ended up making $3.80. So what a a big win but it was a good easy lock with a lot of back class and uh it was fun to see but uh but anyway i just uh it was a lot of fun so there was a lot going on and there's a flurry of activity in that in that hour leading up to the race you had the pegasus world cup and the, and the turf cup and i know i was alive in a pick four at oaklawn and and louisville was playing duke so it, it was really hard. I did catch your race, though, and, and the filly was very impressive. Uh, you got to you got to find her some black type now, because uh, that that I think she's she's ready to move to the next level. Yeah, Amen. She, she's out of conditions, I think, and and we're gonna go somewhere. We just don't know where yet. And you know, uh, Brad Cox had a huge day after we won. I think it was either two minutes later or two minutes before he won the Pegasus, and then he won a listed stake, I think, at Oakland. So he had three wins in about five minutes. So I've never seen that happen before, but congratulations to him, too. You all know i got a big man crush on Brad, but uh, <laughs> he did a great job that day. But without further ado, let's go into our, our special guest tonight. Like I said, episode 37. Tonight we have somebody very unique uh, in Kentucky horse racing, Uh a long-time owner-breeder was brought into the owner-breeder side uh, by his parents. Uh, he has a Louisville native, and he actually uh, still runs under a family name and family silks that are lime green, accented by black chevrons. He also has several mares, like we said. He's an owner-breeder, and a lot of the mares, when I looked them up, had the the nick the uh, part of their name uh, of Bertie, B-E-R-T-I-E. And I do believe that's after this individual's father, late father, Mr. Bertram. So uh, he rarely also uh, does any type of partnership scenarios, always runs under the same racing name, either with his uh, late mother or late father. 
or his new racing name, but he did partner with Matacat Stables once before with a, a nice horse called Will Call. I don't think he does many partnerships. This guy's a great individual, runs on his own his own uh, lane here. Uh, he has a tremendous racing record as an owner-breeder. He has started 172 starts with 55 wins. It's 32% in the win column, 29 Whew. seconds and 16 thirds. He has notable horses by the name of Break Even, Will Call, Pinch It, Play On, and many more. Tonight, this snowy evening, I'd love to introduce to you all a great owner-breeder, a man I met on the backside wearing tennis shoes, shorts, and a t-shirt, Mr. Richard Klein. Richard, how are you? I'm doing well tonight. I think uh, you put the word special in front of guests. That's awful kind of you to you put the word special in front of my uh, first name, but uh, I'm doing well. I appreciate the intro, and you know, I'm an ex-banker. Brandon, and your math wasn't too correct. You uh -oh. said people that bet $2 on your horse the other day came back and made three eighty. They only netted a dollar eighty. Well, they netted dollar eighty. Yeah. They netted a dollar eighty. So <laughs> a win, a win is a win, and it did run a nice race. And I yeah, was, thank I you. was happy for your group because I'm, I know a lot of people in the group, so I was happy for y'all. Well, thanks, man. Well, uh, back to you. We, we'd love to talk lot of horses with you and you know at what age did you really get started and who was kind of the the person that really introduced you to horse racing and where at i got started at uh real young under 10 years old my mother grew up around horses she was a uh showed horses she was a world's champion uh um she rode a roadster pony she won the world's championship in Madison Square Garden in Louisville in Kansas City. So she was always uh, been around horses and she passed the love of the horses on to me and always said when I was younger, one day you and I are gun going to get in the horse business together. And my father um, didn't have a problem with it, but my father's uh, mother kind of was opposed to it because she, they grew up during the depression and she saw what took place, how everybody got wiped out and she didn't want to see that happen to her daughter-in-law and to me because this horse business you know it, it's a tough business so my mother and i started a partnership in 19 uh 1988 we went and bought our first horse at the sales with rick howells and um uh, from there we moved we're kind of loyal to trainers and we moved to a couple of trainers and then my father got involved and 1998 we decided this is crazy we need to merge everything together and come up with uh just uh, a stable of called richard elaine and burt klein and uh, we merged everything together back in 1998 in the spring uh, and gave everything to bernie flit now you went over our the number of starts we've had in the winds that's only for klein racing and that only goes back uh to 24 20 uh 17 when my father died i changed the name to klein racing so my parents could be a part of it but before that we used to race under richard elaine and burt klein so we have a lot more wins uh to our credit there that uh, we, we were very excited about too with those horses yeah and, and one horse i didn't mention but i think it ran under a couple different names uh, with your parents and yourself was country day can you tell us about that horse? Yeah, Country Day 
uh, ran under the name of uh, Richard and Elaine and Bert Klein. My father, I ran the whole stable and um, my parents, you know, let me make all the decisions. And uh, Country Days out of uh, my mare, Hidden Assets, who's probably been my uh, number one broodmare. She's produced uh, three graded stake winners, multiple grade stake winners, five or six stake winners. And she's had 13, 13, I think, horses to race, of uh, 13 horses to race, and all of them are winners. I named her, I named Country Day, because horses are hard to name. I named it after the school here in Louisville. My kids went to Country Day, and I just oh, wow. thought, wow, let's just name it Country Day. And I, everybody in Louisville followed that because of Country Day. And yes, the horse um, turned out to be a really nice racehorse for us, and I tried to make him a stallion here in Kentucky, and people didn't really want to breed to a, 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 a turf sprinter, so I moved him to Louisiana. But Country Day's done really well for himself with the minimal mares that uh, have been bred to him. Yeah, and Hidden Asset, that horse ran back in early 2000. So your your breeding stall goes back several years. How how early is the have you been a breeder? We started we started breeding in the ninety in the nineties. Um, wow. My father, before he merged with us, he saw how hard it was for my mother not to name horses, so he <laughs> named everything after his first name. Uh, the the colts, the boy, the male, the male horse, male horses would be uh, Bert or or Bertie with no e, and the females would be Bertie with an i e. And everybody was distinguished the birdie horses to the Klein family. And to this day, one of our horses has a grade two stake race named after her down in uh, Gulfstream, the Hurricane Birdie. That was our that was our mayor. Oh, wow. Yeah, we noticed the birdie name and how it's kind of carried on in both those both the sire and and, and mayors. So that that's pretty unique. We don't we don't get to see that too often. Uh, right now, I, I only have two mares left now with the name Birdie in them. So, um, one of them was those. One of them is believe it's a horse by the name of Believe in Birdie, who I'm sure y'all remember. She set two track records. Uh, she was a Louisiana bred, she won set two track records at Louisiana. She ran second here in the Cardinal or the Mint Julep, whatever the one is on Oaks Day, got beat a nose. She's by Langfear. She was a half a million dollar earner, and she happened to be Brad Cox's very first uh, maiden special winner at Saratoga. Oh, really? Wow. So I got her as a broodmare here in Kentucky. I keep all my broodmares at Clarkland Farm, and for people that are listening, if y'all don't know, Clarkland Farm, I've been there for 30 years. They are the breeder of Beholder and Mendelssohn. Yeah. Oh, wow. And they, you know, they breed and raise all my babies, keep my mares, and they also, they also fold and raised um, Housebuster. Breeders oh. Cup Sprint winner. Yeah. Back hey, Richard. In the day. Richard, do you Bye. plan your own matings, or, or how does that go? So what I do is uh, I come up with five mare, uh, stallions a year, and I'm, I try and look at uh, I breed the race, so I'm not looking at the top stallions to sell. I look at the, the horses that I think can be good matches with my mares. I get it with Fred Mitchell from Clarkland Farm, and we go over the stallions for that year. 
and he knows all the stallions and he visualizes what the horse needs the mare body wise does does the horse need a more uh, stallion that's got more leg to him um do they need they, do they need uh, a horse that's more of a sprinter type so he visualizes and basically that's how we do our matching together and then um set the breeding up and i hate to say it this game is luck i mean you think about i breed one of my mares that she was an okay racehorse she got hurt she wasn't much as a brood mare she had some hard knocking claiming horses i breed her to my stallion country day she puts out break even who won her first six races and was a great stake winner so this game is luck you, you just got to be lucky it's like in life you just got to be lucky in the right place at the right time and the better you treat your horses which has been our philosophy if they need time off we give them all the time off we can to, to get them back to the races but the better you treat them the better they're going to end up treating you and that's been our philosophy from when we've been in the business do you solely breed to race or have you ever do you, do you still make purchases at the at the yearling sales i strictly breed the race with the exception of this past year uh, i went to keeneland with my son casey who's uh, working at a uh, farm in lexington learning the ropes and uh, went with brad cox and we looked i, I needed some fillies i needed to get a some uh, a filly or two to help my uh, i guess my broodmare to get some different bloodlines in there and uh we ended up uh, i needed to to buy a yearling because I only have three uh, two-year-olds come this year, so I needed to make, maybe make four because some of my mares lost their foals and this and that. So we ended up buying a real nice quality road filly that we're really, you know, excited about the way she's looking and the way she's growing. But you know what? That means nothing. They can train good, they can look great until they open that gate in the afternoon. And when that gate opens. They could be a morning glory. Well, that's exactly right. I was standing next to Bernie Flint one time, and I think uh, it was a horse that you had. It was uh, uh, a, a daughter of Mystery Storm. I can't remember the swept, name. Uh, go, go, this is a swept great away. story, but swept away. Yes, great story. Well, well uh, swept away raced against a D. Wayne Lucas filly. This is a maiden race, I think. This is when swept away broke her maiden. I was standing next to Bernie Flint, and this Lucas filly walked by. And she was just gorgeous, just unbelievable, just prototypical D. Wayne Lucas two, uh, yearling purchase. And Bert, when she walked by, Bernie Flint said, it's not a beauty contest. And that's for sure, because Swift Wade blew her off the track that day. It's funny you say that, because we went and bought Swept Away at the two-year-old training sale at, uh, at uh, Calder. And we would go down and buy two-year-olds uh, all the time back then, and so my mother and my father and I are down there and we're with Bernie and we're looking at the horses and my mother really something struck an eye was swept away and Bernie goes, you know, Miss Klein, I really don't think you want her. There's something I just don't like about her, the way she's put together. You're going to be able to get her for cheap because she's got a knot on her knee and, uh, you know, but it's nothing. But I really don't like the way she's put together. And my mother kept saying I want the horse and we're going to buy. And Bernie said, no, I don't think so. My mother looked at Bernie and said, Bernie, take, if you took off all your clothes and you stand in front of the mirror with uh, totally nude, would you like what you're looking at? <laughs> we 
ended up nice. buying the horse, and I think it cost us forty some odd thousand dollars. And we were getting her up to the race, and she was, I think, eight to one that day. And Bernie looked at her son, his son Steve, and said, "You know, you tell me you like this horse. She's eight to one. Do you really like her?" And Steve handed Bernie a pocket full of money and said, "Go bet as much as you want on this horse. She'll win." We had <laughs> Pat Day named on her, but it happened to be Belmont Day. And he wanted us to wait another week so he can ride her. And we said, no, we're not doing that. And, yeah, you're right. She won She won easy. But you want to talk about a horse in the morning? If you put her in a workout and she breezed off the pole, no joke, she couldn't go four furlongs in 50. She couldn't break. She couldn't run 49 and change in a workout. She couldn't. She'd work in 50, 51, 52, and she was all out. You put her in the starting gate in the morning, out of the gate, 47s. So there's a huh. horse that was smart that knew, I'm working off the pole. I don't give a, you know, a crap about this. She knew <laughs> that starting gate made her ticker go, and in the morning and the afternoon. Well, uh, she was a, that filly was a graded stakes winner. I'm looking at her uh, past performances right now. She, she Won the Azalea Breeders' Cup at Calder, Calder back in the day, and then uh, the safely kept at Laurel. She was a, a really nice filly for you. And she's put out some decent horses uh, for us um, over the years. Uh, but, yeah, the day that she won the Azalea, we won back-to-back races that day. We won the Princess Rooney with Hurricane Birdie the same day. Wow. Well, Richard, who do you have uh, that that our listeners should kind of pay attention to this year? If anybody's starting for you, and kind of how's this, how's your racing stable right now? It's kind of light. I've gotten rid of some horses. I've kind of um, cut down because you know it's an expensive business, and I am doing this by myself. And um, you know, every horse costs the same. But I still have twelve brood mares. I have uh, eight two-year-olds. Um, I had a horse that ran the other day, a homebred, they're all homebreds, but got beat a nose in a turf race sprinting down at, um, fairgrounds by the name of field day. I have a real nice two, a three-year-old filly that's two for two that, uh, I'm sure y'all been around long enough to remember my good sprinter on the turf by the name of uh, good deed. Oh, yes. Very much so. Very much so. So this is the second foal out of a good deed. The first one is a winner. The second, she's now two for two. She broke her maiden on the turf at Indiana and then won a very impressive race at Fairgrounds. And she came back with a very high buyer number. And there's no turf races for her sprinting right now, stake races. So we're looking at having to send her over to Gulfstream or to, um, I think, Oakland in two weeks to run her over there and one of their three-year-old fillies turf or dirt sprint race. So uh, I got the, another one out of hidden assets that hasn't made it to the track. She's had some issues. She's coming back. She's by will take charge. And then I got a horse that ran one time out of cash control, a quality road filly, and she's getting ready to run. And, you know, I think she's going to need a couple races before she figures it out. But she did run a good fourth the other day. So she's uh, coming and up and running but right now i'm kind of light you know that's why i went and bought a horse at the sale and i have 10 yearlings right now and i'm really excited about that um cross of horses with the 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 pedigrees 
So you've got 10 yearlings, eight two-year-olds, and you've got three or four three-year-olds? Four, four two-year-olds, eight, um, eight three-year-olds, two four-year-olds and up. And I have uh, 12 mares. I got really 11 mares that are in full Wow! right now. So they're getting ready to full in the next couple of months. So hopefully I can uh, crank it back up again. And um get it going again because um there's nothing like breeding a horse and watching your own horse run in your own silks oh yeah well well who helps with you with breaking some of these babies in and and gets them to the track and and then tell us who's also your main trainer okay so amy and charlie lepresti at clarkland farm they've handled all of my layups i've been with amy for over 30 years i got to know her from jimmy baker when he trained for us so Amy and Charlie, they have a farm up in the Athens-Boonesboro area outside of Lexington, and uh, they, uh, they've been breaking my horses there, and they get turned out at night, and they go up and down trails, and they're trained the old way instead of being on a track. They don't get shoes put on them. They don't have tongue ties, and they're, they're raised to be race horses and to be tough, and they always come in looking good. Now, for those... I'm sure y'all remember Charlie Lepresti. He was a he's got a he had a good Dan. horse, right? Yeah, yeah. He had wise Dan and successful Dan. So it's not their first rodeo, and they know what they're doing. And we've been successful, and it's worked. So they break all of my horses, and then when they're ready to go in, then they go in. Right now, Brad Cox is my trainer. I've I've been with Brad since he got started. Uh, I was one of the first ones to give him horses. Um, Brad was assistant for Dallas and his barn was right next to ours when I was with Steve Flint and I just got to know Brad and I just liked everything Brad had to say and I just said if you ever go on your own one day let me know and I'll give you some horses and sure enough we gave him some cheap horses that Steve had and he he did a good job with them and uh, won with a couple of them and got rid of them and then he went private and then I said if you ever go on your own again, I'm going to give you horses. So we got hooked up again back in, I guess it would have been 2015. He had maybe 30 horses at the time up at here, and he was going to Saratoga, and that's when I sent horses to him to Saratoga. And uh, that's when we started winning, and, and our horses were winning, and I think just people picked up, and uh, Brad just started getting bigger, and he's, he's a great trainer, and uh, he's – Johnny on the ball, he's uh, he's just, uh, it's all about the horse with him, and he's got a great eye, and he knows how to place him, and that's the reason why he has the success he has and why he's gotten to be as big as he has. He yeah. just didn't do this overnight. It's been coming on for years. Right, and, you know, hopefully tomorrow night he's crowned with the Eclipse Award, we all hope. So, well, I'm sure he will be. There's no reason why he shouldn't. But uh, right. But he's. I got another small trainer by the name of Alan Clanifer in Louisiana that's got a couple of my cheap Louisiana breads that run down there. But um, that's all. That's Brad is my main is my main trainer. Good. Good. Well, you you used to have uh you used to use Bernie Flint, uh, Steve Flint, Steve Margolis. Is, is my memory serve right? Is is that right? Yes. Yeah, and, we, and we're loyal. We don't like to change from trainer to trainer. My mother used to be in the show horse business, and she said, Richard, all you're doing is 
all you're doing is trading one ugly face for another. So let's not <laughs> let's not change trainers. But I, I've had great relationships with all my trainers. We are still friends. We talk. We communicate. We socialize when I see them. And it was just uh, something that I wanted to go to Brad when he was small enough before he got big, and it just happened to work out. And Steve Margolis has done a great job and is a great trainer. But it, it was just sometimes you got you know you got to make a change to, uh, to shake things up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But can you tell us? You know, and if you've been around horse racing for a long time. You know, uh, silks have a tendency to be iconic. There's Godolphin, there's Calumet, there's Coolmore, Judmont. But you, your silks, those lime green silks you guys have, they're as iconic as anything we see right here. Tell me about, tell me about your decision to do the silks. It, um, when we looked at merging together, it was my wife's decision to come up with these silks because – when you go to the racetrack back then, they didn't have big TV screens and monitors. And uh, when you, you're seeing your horse on the backside, you can't see your silks. So you want to be able to see the silks. And she came up with the the lime green and the chevron, the black chevrons. And like, it's just once we changed to those silks, it's like in 1998, we went to Belmont Park July 3rd. And we won two stake races that day back to back. The Hurricane Birdie won, and um, Round Robin won a two-year-old stake race. And it's like ever since then, it's like it's it's taken off. And you know, we've been very blessed. We've been very fortunate. You know, the, the success we have, and you know, we're very humbled by it. We we don't brag. We pay our bills on time. Good to the to the help and. We've been very lucky to think that looking back over the years that we've had over 120 stake winners, of which 29 of them are wow. great stake winners, and almost over 500 over 500 wins. And it's you just know, you know it. And my my father passed away March 24th of 2017, and the day before he passed away, we had a horse that won at Oakland by the name of Pinch Hit, and we dropped her in just so that she could win and. And my father, I went over to see him at the uh, Episcopal home here in Loyola. And, you know, he was still mentally with it. And I said, we just had a horse that won, Dad. And he said, who? And I told him, the last words that my father ever said to me was, Richard, keep up the good work and don't get out of the game. Oh, wow. And oh. at that day, I said, I'm not getting out of the game. I changed everything to Klein Racing because I wanted to make my mother and my father a part of it. It's it's because of them I'm able to be where I'm at in the game. So by Klein Racing, that covers my mother, my father, and hopefully my kids. My daughter's doing her residency in equine surgery at Iowa State. She's finishing her uh, first year, and my son's working in the um, Silver Springs uh, Stud in Lexington, which is a part of the old Amazon farm next to Spendthrift, and he wants to get in the game. So. Because of my father saying that, uh, I'm going to get the kids involved one day. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. That's great to hear. That's great, Richard. And, you know, it's a family, it's a family business, and it's, you know, uh, we're just having fun. It's, it's got its up and downs. It's like anything else. When you have a win, as you all know, you better enjoy it because the next day, and it's happened <laughs> many times to us, the next day they'll call you and say the horse, something happened to it. What do you think? 
Sorry, Alan. Go ahead. What do you think about the future, Richard? I mean, you know, where do we go from here? Because how things in racing were in the past are definitely not how they are currently and and in the future. I mean, talk about some rule changes that we had this year with about Lasix and then also about the state, you know, how we're funding purses. So do you have any comments about Lasix? Yeah, I was I was on the racing commission in the uh, in the 90s and. Back then, they were talking about, hey, oats and water, and I always said, you know, I'm in favor of it if, if everybody was on the up and up, and that if nobody was using any type of medication, everybody was on the up and up, you're going to see who the real trait, the horsemen are. And I always said, look, but as far as I'm concerned, horses are no different than athletes, and the fact that I was a manager on the UK football team in the late 70s, and I know what football players and any athlete takes. You know, they take uh, Tylenol or they take Advil and they take other things. We all wake up with aches and pains, and, you know, quite frankly, horses need Lasix. All it is is uh, anti-bleeding medication. It doesn't help any performance. I still think we need Lasix. I think what they're doing to the game is only going to be a cruelty to the horses and to the game. And I don't think the Derby and the big greatest stake races are going to be as good as what you've seen because more and more horses, I think in the future, you're going to hear people say their horse is training great going to the Derby and they're not on Lasix. And after the Derby, they bled. Yeah. And listen, yeah. break even her last race. Luckily she didn't die. She bled out. And, Luckily, we were able to keep her as a broodmare. She oh, bled wow. on the racetrack, and Sean Sean pulled her up. She didn't have LASIK. She could have bled out. Wow. Yeah, I well, remember I, that I, day. I think, and... Yeah. I think we need LASIK. I think it is good for the horses. But, you know, you got, you got people out there that think the opposite. And I think the industry's got a long way to go to come together as an organization and i've always said forever what the racing needs is one commissioner we need a david stern because you got all these states that have their own rules and i feel sorry for trainers because every state's got different medication rules different shoe rules different withdrawal rules on medications and you know now you see why there's positives they can't keep up with shipping these horses what they give horses and you know, horses need medications just like anybody else. So the game's got a long way to go before it's it's not what it used to be. Where know? is this push coming from for to to ban Lasix? Is this from the breeders or like the you know the jockey club or what? What what is this coming from? It sounds to me it's coming from the breeders and the board members on the jockey club, and uh, it's the same breeders that go to the sales and sell their horses and. Uh, tell me how those yearlings look when they go to the sale. Those yearlings don't look like yearlings. Mm. Okay, so geez. I think it's it's coming from the big breeders, and it's just it's not good for the game. But look, if everybody's playing on level playing field, and unfortunately we don't have that in this business because you saw what happened with uh, Sar- Service and uh, Navarro and people like that. And, uh, I've always said that, you know, a good pharmaceutical company can mask anything and it's just unfortunate, but you know, we do need Lasix. 
I agree. 100%. You know, everything else we can do without, but I've been in favor of Lasics. It goes back to the what we talked about on a prior podcast with Serengeti Empress when she bled in a, in a stake prior to the Kentucky Oaks a couple of years ago. And Amos declared that she bled in the race. Had she... Had he not done that, you could have probably gotten fifty to one on the horse in the Oaks. Instead, you get twenty-two to one as it was. That's I think that's a problem going forward for for betters. Is you know if if that information on on whether horses bleed or not is not out there, I mean now you've got a black market of information that that yeah. as gamblers we have to we have to combat that, and I think that's going to be a problem. Well, the only thing that you can pick up on as a gambler when a horse bleeds and they bleed significantly. It's going to take them a while to heal um, heal up, uh, and you may see a horse that's off for a while. Look, I could have brought break even back, but it would have not have been until this year. You have to give them a, t- a chance to have their lungs heal back up. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, so you may see that it's not if a horse bleeds significantly. Let's just say a horse bleeds in the uh, in a stake race in Kentucky, and we're not allowed to run horses on Lasix and a stake race in Kentucky and they believe they're not going to be able to run back within a month if it's significant. Right. We, uh, we handicapped one. Uh, I think it was at, uh, was it Oakland or Gulfstream guys a, a couple weeks ago? I read in the PPs where the comment line said lead, but it was that horse. Uh, I think it was trained by Ken McPee that stayed in training pretty quickly after about two weeks, there was another work and kept in training. It was uh, Gary's uh, uh, podcast night, if you all recall. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That horse ended up winning the next time out because it got Lasix, and that made all the difference. I think it was at Fairgrounds, actually. It wasn't at the yeah. Lecomte, Lecomte Day. I think yeah. it was, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so. Well, yeah, right, I mean, in, it, Kentucky, in Kentucky this year, you couldn't run a two-year-old in Lasix, but you can go to the Fairgrounds and, and um, run a two-year-old in Lasix. Uh, at Gulfstream, you can't run a two-year-old in Lasix this past year, but you could run a three-year-old in Lasix. Yeah, I don't understand the difference between two and three. I mean, because you know they're not really two and three-year-olds, so I don't know. I don't understand. I, 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 I don't understand the philosophy. I'm just uh, playing by the rules, and uh, and and that's it. I don't know what the, the thinking was behind that. Yeah. Well, uh, Richard, when can when do you think you'll have the next couple starts? Where where what track should we be looking at? And I, we all follow Brad Cox; he's easy to follow. So I may be running something fairgrounds with uh, in the another week. Uh, horse by name is Spare Cash. Uh, route on the turf; it's her second start. She's out of my good mare Cash Control that y'all probably remember seeing around yes. here. Yes, very much uh, so. This is her first foal, and then after that. Uh, Hopefully going good over at Oakline and then field day down at the fairgrounds and a cheap one maybe at um, at Gulfstream uh, with Brad's assistant there. So I really don't have many to run right now. Um, so I'm kind of light. Are you traveling I, all these places? No, I don't go anywhere. I'm not going anywhere because of the, the COVID. I'm getting I'm getting too close. I'm 62. Getting too close to getting the vaccine. Hopefully, and I'm not. If I made it this far, I'm not willing to to go. You know what? I kind of enjoy not going to Churchill Downs and watching the races on TV. I can sit there and yell and 
scream and cuss at the TV. And if the horse runs bad, I can turn it off. I don't have to go listen to what the jockey says. And I don't have to have that drive, I don't have to have that drive home. It's like a bad beat in, on gambling. You know, and I, you'd rather have a bad beat at home than you would at the track. That's very true. That's very true. Hey, yeah, I got one quick question for you, uh, Richard. Um, sure. You've had so many horses. You and your, your parents, who do you think is the best horse you ever had? I mean, there's different distances, there's different there's different surfaces. Who do you believe is the best horse you had? Who do I think is the best horse that we ever had if yeah. they could have a full career and get the run of the surfaces that we yeah. could have? Yeah. You get to pick one. If I had to pick one horse, I know Hurricane Birdie was our biggest earner. She was like $970,000, and we, she died, we had to put her down. She had, um, she had laminitis on us uh, before. She really colicked, and we had to put her down. She was getting ready to run down in Florida, and she was going to be a favorite to make us a millionaire. I know out of the box, was very, very talented. I would have to say, talent-wise, the two horses that I would say all these years, believe in Birdie Brad said could have been one of the best horses that he's ever seen train at that time. She did it so easy. I think um, if she wasn't put together as crooked as she was, no telling what she could have been like. I think if I was able to get break even on the turf, break even could have been my best horse ever. Uh, I've never, I've never had a horse start her career six for six. Yeah, I was always wanting to see break even on turf sprint. I mean, the horse could have been an absolute monster. The horse was so fast. Was it was it Oaks Day or Derby Day when she she beat that field? Uh, she won on it, Oaks Day the eight bells and going seven eight. eight and she just kept on running. She did win on the turf. Good, at, she did win on the turf at Saratoga, and we gave her some time off after a three year old year. And like any any filly, when you turn fillies out and give them some time off, and they come back at four year olds. A lot of them don't come back as w- what they went out as a three-year-old. They're, they're ready to become a mama. And she told us that day that she bled, I'm ready to become a mama. I would mm-hmm. say break even. I mean, I've had so many great horses in the past. I mean, uh, I mean the purses were different back then. But, uh, I mean, I claimed horses. They made us a half a million dollars and then. Six hundred thousand dollars. I'd say break even's got to be right up there. She you just don't win at all the different tracks that she wanted. I mean, she won at Belmont, she won at Saratoga, she won at Oaklana Stake Race, she won at uh, Churchill Downs, she won at the Fairground, she won on slop, she won on dirt, and she won on turf. She won oh. going five furlongs, five and a half, six furlongs, and seven furlongs. And, and she was an ATM for us betters who 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 realized how good she was. She was an ATM for us. If you like those low prices. I don't like those low prices, but if it's a lock, <laughs> I'll take a lock. <laughs> right. Hey, I've, yeah. had a lot of, I've had a lot of good ones that I, over there. I mean, I could, there's a list of them that I could think of, but I mean, I had a real nice one that unfortunately he had some issues and he got beat. He came, he won. For Steve Margolis, he ran the after we had the uh, tornado out here. He won the last race of that meet. We had the tornado, and he went off at like eight to ten to one and came flying. And then he gets beat in the Wayne the the Lucas Stake race. He came flying and got beat a length by Fort Larned. Horse by the name of Windswept. 
and Winslow oh, yeah. got a swept yeah. away. Yeah, I remember he wanted he wanted uh, Saratoga right after my mother passed away. Um, and then he had some issues and he never made it back to the track, but he was right up there. He was as talented. So I've had a lot of them, but I think break even holds a special place in my heart just because she's by my stallion. She's out of a mare that I had. She's one of the last foals out of that mare. And she started her career six for six. I'll never have that happen again. I hope I do, but. It's tough to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I tell you, looking back at Hurricane Birdie, I mean, 35 starts. First start was in 1997, and every year the horse just got stronger, 98, 99, 2000. And you're right, Richard, almost a million-dollar earner. 35 earn? starts, 14, 14 first place, seven seconds, and five thirds. And what was That's her purse amazing. again? How much was her earnings? Nine what? 940000 Okay, 40 That was a little short, but I knew the race that she was going in, if she would have won, would have taken her over that back then. Yeah, I mean, back uh, then, but, that's a big, big accomplishment. But, you know, horses back then, they used to run every three weeks, every two. They're babied now. I mean, Bernie Flint was great. One of the best horse, one of the best horsemen I've ever been around. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, horses ran every three weeks back then. It, that is true. That is true. Yeah. Hey, Richard, well, can you talk about All-American Birdie uh, for a little bit? I, uh, one of my favorite uh, horses that you all uh, campaigned. Uh, she, her, I was really, really surprised that she almost got the mile and a quarter in the Alabama Stakes that year. She got beat by Farda Amiga. Uh, give me any, any memories of that, Philly? You're a sickie if you can remember who she got beat by. Yeah. Well, I'm looking <laughs> at the chart. I'm looking oh, at the okay, chart right now, but okay, I, I remember the race. You, the you didn't have to tell me you were cheating now. I mean, <laughs> Polo Lobo, uh, it's Polo Lobo's horse. Right. That's it. Yeah. Okay. So All-American Birdie was a was another homebred, and um, she was very, very talented. She uh, she won the Fall City out here. Happened to be on my my wife's 40th birthday. She won. Um, I think she won a race at Delaware. If I right before the Alabama, she won the Delaware Oaks. Right. We take her over to the Alabama, and it was a Fajardo Omega, and there's a horse in there that Bobby Frankel trained by the name of you, Y-O-U. Oh, right? yeah. And I think you may have been the favorite, and Steve Mark, Steve Flynn, our trainer then, made a comment that you can't get a mile and a quarter in a pickup truck. They were all telling she was going to win. Well, Pat Day, who rode us previously, mm-hmm. didn't ride us because he had the call of Fajardo Omega. My parents happened to be on a cruise in Alaska, and my father's calling me on a cell phone trying to get the race, and trying giving a call of a race to your father on a cruise in Alaska <laughs> was kind of hard to do, and I was there with my wife and my kids and my friends up there, and inside the 16th pole, we looked like a winner, but as typical as Pat Day is, and we're very close friends, Pat Day came from the clouds and beat us on the last jump. Oh, oh! I see. Larry Melanson rode all. Larry Melanson rode her for us, and he did a very good job. And but uh, she was very, very good. And we kept her as a broodmare, and she never really turned out to be a broodmare. And we sold her, and she never produced anything. Hmm. But she was, she was, uh, you know, she was a very, very special mare for us too. I mean, we had another one by the name of D Birdie. Go look her up. 
Oh yeah. Really, yeah. Oh yeah. Remember her. D birdie was huge. She was like 17 hands almost. And, uh, we had to put her in a maiden 50 claimer that we were afraid somebody was going to claim her at Churchill and she won and go look at all the races that she won after that. Hmm. Did, how did you pick this horse out? I, I remember this mare. Her her sire was De Niro, who was not a very uh, he he wasn't a commercial stallion for sure. Did did you pick this one out at the sale? Do you remember that? D Birdie was bred. Who's she out of? Uh, the sire was De Niro out of Pigeon Pea by Topsider. Oh, D Birdie. Oh, D Birdie. We bought at the yeah. D Birdie. We bought at the sale. It's something that Bernie Flint liked. Bernie Flint. That's right. We bought Bernie Flint had an eye for a horse. And Bernie could buy a cheap horse and turn him out into a great stake winner. So Bernie looked for the bargain deals. And I, I kind of equate Kenny McPeak in this day and age doing the same thing. You know, Kenny doesn't spend a lot of money for some horses that he's done really well with. So Bernie had an eye for this horse and just loved everything about it. Hmm. It's, probably well, the only, was... it's probably the only dinero that could run. Probably so. I mean, she was fantastic on the track. She won nine out of 24, $485,000. And, uh, yeah, she won a couple of stakes at, at uh, Gulfstream. I mean, she just had a, a great career for you guys. Yeah. I mean, it's like swept away. We mentioned earlier about Mystery Storm. It's the only Mystery Storm that can run. Yeah, that's right. So, right. yeah, I mean, th there's so many horses like that. You're bringing up some old horses' names. That it's, it's, it's fun to – Reminisce about the some of the old horses that we had. Yeah, that's why we're in the game because of the memories. You know, it's, yeah, uh, yeah, something to look forward to and something to think about from from way back. Now, I know Brandon uh, has a piece of uh, in a syndicate. Do either one of the two of y'all, or y'all, are y'all just gamblers and uh, afternoon players, or do y'all pay bills on horses? Uh, I'm out of the game. I, uh, I've, I've been on the breeding end and the owning end, but I'm, I'm out right now looking, looking to get back in at some point, but it's going to be probably going to be a while. Right. I'm a weekend player. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with a weekend player. You know, you can beat a race, but not the races. So you're better off playing the weekends and not the weekdays. That's oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's a fun game. It's, it's, it's very satisfying when you get a win, but you better enjoy it. I mean, I had a real nice Louisiana bread that uh, came off of a off of a layoff that Brad had, and I gave it to my trainer Alan Clanifer, who wins three races a year in Louisiana. And he keeps the horse for me, and he breed, and he runs the horse a month ago, a month and a half ago. The horse's name is Extra Mile, and it wins an off the turf race, and it wins really impressively. We're getting ready to run the horse back a month later, and Alan's driving the horse over from where he's stabled over in uh, near Opelousas, uh, Louisiana. I'm, I know I'm not uh, Cajun, so I probably didn't pronounce that right. And he's driving two <laughs> hours, and he's on the road, and the uh, truck driver comes by and, and uh, pushes him off the road. And he went uh, into the grass, and the horse got a concussion. And fortunately, the horse came out of the concussion he was fine and we were working him. we were training him up to a, a race and he's one week away from running he's supposed to be running this friday and we breezed him last thursday broke down and we had to put him down oh it's terrible oh, and he would he would have been three to five in this race on friday at fairgrounds louisiana bread he's run three yeah. times he's got two wins and gets beat a half a length 
His name was Extra Mile. So that's the stories. He calls me that day, and I said, how'd the breeze goes? And he goes, no good. And I go, no good. He said, he broke down. It's awful. Sorry. Uh, so, I mean, it's happened. You're, if you're in the game 30-plus years like I've been, uh, you, you've got all those stories. There hasn't been anything that you haven't seen or haven't heard of with all the horses that we've had and, and you know, over the years. So it's just part of the game, and it just happens. It's unfortunate, but it's no different than an athlete uh, tearing their Achilles heel in the game. It's just unfortunate that we have to can't save some horses and we have to put them down. Right. Well, that's, Pete, the, that's the bad part of the game, and that's what I said. You better enjoy the wins. Yeah. yeah. Peaks and well, valleys. Yes. Well, our viewers and listeners, we want to make sure everybody pays attention to Klein Racing and the PPs in the upcoming weeks, as well as paying attention to those lime green silks with black chevrons. Uh, Mr. Klein, Richard, you're a friend of our, of the podcast. We can't wait to see you in the winter circle. Uh, especially after you get your COVID vaccinations. Uh, we want to see, see you back out there collecting trophies and, and keep a great racing name going for many years to come. We can't wait to see your family, uh, your son and daughter, get more involved as they get older and uh, learn more about the game. And we wish you all the best of luck, okay? Thank you, gentlemen, have me on. And y'all have done a great job. And I have went back and listened to some of your old podcasts and some of them bring back memories. Oh, we appreciate that. We appreciate you being on, Richard. We really do. Okay, thank y'all. Y'all have a good night. You too. That's all for this edition of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. We thank you for listening, and remember that gambling money ain't got no home.